0: Are there things you believe in that other people don't? Things that you think you've seen or experienced, but you're not sure? Things that, if you told other people about, they might say, um, you know that's made up, right? We've talked on the show before about phenomena that are just beyond the realm of provable. That's kind of our thing, right? Remember when we talked last season about how and when we might be more prone to seeing a ghost? there are a lot of factors. Your emotional state, your body chemistry, brain science. We can puzzle and puzzle all day about the factors, some scientific, some more about our beliefs and emotions. But really, we can never say one way or the other for sure. And there are many things like that in the universe, aren't there? Ghosts and angels, mermaids and dragons, vampires and werewolves. Well, today, we're going to talk about a very special category of what if they existed. Fairies. And we're not just talking the Tinkerbell kind, or the kind who might invite you to tea in the forest. What if I told you there were fairies with the power to give you really bad nightmares? Or fairies that steal babies? Or even vampire fairies? I'm Elise Parisian, and today we will learn that fairies come in all shapes, sizes, and desires to kill, on this episode of Unspookable.
1: Fairies can grant you luck. They can fly. They can give you your wishes. And there's a lot of different kinds of fairies. Fairies are like this type of creature that, like, is like in a mythical garden, I'd say. And like they have like wings and they can fly. I think fairies look like they have tiny, cute outfits and wings and they would live in a forest in a tiny mushroom house with tiny pieces of wood to sit on. To me, they look like women in dresses that have, like, skirts and magic wands and have wings.
0: Before we get into the naughty fairy, nice fairy details, what is a fairy exactly? Well, just like many of the beings we've talked about in this show, there are a lot of different ideas about what a fairy is. The word itself, fairy, is often associated with European folklore, with Celtic, Slavic, German, English, and French folklore traditions that have existed since before the modern-day country names even existed. A fairy could also be known in these traditions as fae, fata, or fair folk. Before fairy came to mean what we understand it to mean today, the words fae, or fee, in an old branch of the language that became French, meant a woman who was skilled in magic, especially natural magic, for healing. Many people consider fairies to be mythical or supernatural beings, often associated with certain magical powers or abilities. They may be described as a type of spirit or metaphysical being. No matter how you would describe them, one thing is clear. They are not human, and they never were. They are a completely separate species, if you will. Unlike a witch, who may have magical powers but could also be human or a vampire or a werewolf that could become those things through a curse or being bitten. Fairies are just, well, fairies. You either are one or you aren't. And then there's the matter of appearance. When I say fairy, what do you think of? Many people would say fairies are small, female creatures with the ability to fly and magical powers. Maybe even a magic wand. You might think of famous fairy characters like Tinkerbell from Peter Pan, or the fairy godmother in Cinderella. Or maybe you think about the tooth fairy visiting you when you lose a tooth. You might associate them with fairy dust and small, kind of see-through wings like you might find on a dragonfly. But just like we mentioned in our episode about mermaids, fairies can be many different things to different people. Though the word fairy comes from a European tradition, many other places and cultures have similar magical beings in their folklore, even if they don't call them fairies. For some, the word fairy doesn't even have to mean a small human-like creature with wings and magical powers. Some use fairy to mean any type of magical creature, like gnomes, trolls, elves, sprites, goblins, and others. It was during the Victorian era in England, around the mid-1800s, that many English speakers began referring to stories that contained all types of these creatures as fairy tales. Popularized by writers like the Brothers Grimm, the stories that became known as fairy tales could have enchanted people and places, magic of all kinds, and other fantastical elements. In this way, the word fairy came to represent more than just one type of creature to some people. As more of an idea than an individual creature, fairy represents some connection to a more ancient world or belief system, one that may have gone out of popular use with the spread of Christianity. As we talked about last week with werewolves, before Christianity spread through Europe, people's religious beliefs may have had more to do with the natural world. Just as some of us may believe in an afterlife, many people believed that there were fairy realms that existed in parallel to our own. Whole unseen worlds or kingdoms with different types of creatures in them. They might be accessible through a magic portal, in a forest, or they might exist right in front of us, just that we aren't able to see them most of the time. There are also many ideas about what fairies are from both before and after Christianity became popular. That they could be the children of Eve, the first woman in the Bible story. That they could be fallen angels that they could be the first race of humans that went into hiding when more modern ones came along, or that they could be the next form that humans take after they die. For many, fairies are part of a connection to the Earth, and the belief that there is more going on around us than we humans always understand, or can prove.
1: I've heard of the fairy godmother in Cinderella. The fairies and fairly odd parents, and it always reman- reminds me of Tinkerbell, like when I was younger and I'd always watch it. My favorite fairy is probably Tinkerbell.
0: So, beyond ideas of a fairy realm, what about specific types of fairies? Let's look at some of the nicer ones first, shall we? A pixie is a more well known type of fairy. They're very small, usually the size of a hummingbird, and can move just as fast. They're attracted to nice gardens and are known to sip nectar from flowers like honeysuckle. Like many fairies, even the good ones, pixies are tricksters. They love to play pranks and have fun, and often spend time with children. Some people would say that if one of your toys or something around your house went missing, it was probably a pixie that stole it, but they'll probably bring it back, if you're good. J.M. Barrie, the creator of Peter Pan, used all of these qualities in the character of Tinkerbell. Barrie wrote the first Peter Pan stories in 1904. Tinkerbell was described as a common type of fairy. She was named for her job as a tinker, a fairy who mended pots and kettles and other things. For humans who couldn't speak the fairy language, her voice sounds to them like a bell ringing. So that's how you get Tinkerbell. As a friend to Peter, Tinkerbell is very helpful, but she's also quick-tempered and can be very jealous, which Barry explains by saying that pixies are so small that they can only hold on to one emotion at a time. This is a common descriptor for many fairies beyond Tinkerbell. They have such outsized emotions, they're likely to turn on you in an instant if they feel they've been wronged. The 1953 Disney animated film that made Tinkerbell even more popular also popularized the idea of pixie dust, which would allow anyone the same power of flight that a pixie had. And what about the tooth fairy? Does your family talk about the tooth fairy? If you live in Europe or the United States, you might be familiar with the practice of placing your freshly lost baby tooth under your pillow at night, so that in the morning, the tooth fairy will have left you money. But have you ever thought about where this belief comes from? I mean, a fairy that wants your baby teeth? Why? Well, during the Middle Ages in Europe, which range anywhere from the 400s to the 1400s, there were many regional superstitions about lost teeth. Some Vikings believed that the teeth held power and would wear them on necklaces into battle. They might have believed that children's teeth were extra good luck, and it is said that warriors paid children for their lost baby teeth. In England, there was a common superstition that you had to bury or burn your baby teeth. Because if you didn't, you would spend the afterlife looking for them. As we have mentioned here before, panic about witches was especially high during this time. And many people also believed that if a witch could get a hold of your lost tooth, they would use it for spells, or maybe be able to have complete control over you. As time went on, a lot of the fear or superstition around teeth may have subsided, but there's no question that losing your baby teeth is a significant part of being human. Even if you don't believe they can be used as spell ingredients, teeth represent power for animals and people, our ability to feed ourselves. So, over time, the magic aspect of the ritual became less fearful and more celebratory. A fairy that leaves money? Excellent! The first mention of the tooth fairy in writing was in 1908 in the newspaper the Chicago Tribune, in a section called Household Hints. Many a child will allow a loose tooth to be removed if he knows about the tooth fairy. If he takes his little tooth and puts it under the pillow when he goes to bed, the tooth fairy will come in the night and take it away, and in its place will leave some little gift. Seems like parents were most excited about the tooth fairy when they thought it would help them be able to pull their child's loose tooth out. Now what this fairy looks like is anyone's guess. Some say that the tooth fairy is definitely female, and more like a pixie, but descriptions have ranged from a small elf-like man, a mouse, a lady with blue skin, and even a man with a pot belly smoking a cigar. Another common type of fairy is known as a brownie. Brownies are common household spirits that actually like to do chores. It is said that when everyone is asleep, a brownie will come out and do tasks around your apartment or house. They might sweep the floors or organize cabinets. It's a good idea to leave an offering of milk or food for a brownie's services. If they think that the members of the household are ungrateful for their help, they might start playing tricks, hiding things on purpose, or make a mess instead of cleaning it up. Many people would describe brownies as ugly, short creatures with long, wrinkly features. But don't let them hear you say that. There may even be a famous example of a brownie who you've heard of. Dobby from Harry Potter? Yeah. Dobby is very similar to how many people would describe a brownie, even though he is known as an elf in the books. Another example of how an elf could be described as a type of fairy. In the story, Harry tricks Dobby's master into giving him a sock, freeing him. This is another common law of the brownies. They often appear in rags or even naked, but if you give a brownie clothes, then they will leave your house forever. So where do brownies come from? In Scottish and British folklore, it is said that a brownie in your house means that the spirit of a dead relative wants to take care of you and make sure your house is clean. What about Fairy Godmothers? Perhaps you've heard of those? Maybe in Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty? Before the Disney movies made those characters more well-known, they were creations of the French writer Charles Perrault. Perrault was writing almost a hundred years before the Brothers Grimm, making him an important author in establishing the idea of fairy tales to begin with. He published a collection of fairy tales in 1697 that included both Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty, and introduced the idea of the fairy godmother to a wider audience. In many branches of Christianity, a godmother or godfather is a person who witnesses a child's baptism and serves as a kind of guide or protector. Today, some of us may have godparents without any religious connection. They may be someone who would look after us if our parents needed them to. So, a fairy godmother takes that original concept and makes that person a magical guide. Someone whose powers can help you through life's obstacles. Like how Cinderella's fairy godmother shows up in the Disney version to sing Bippity Boppity Boo and make sure that she can go to the ball. Although that is perhaps a more gentle use of a fairy godmother's powers, Some people say that the idea of the fairy godmother may be an extension of the ancient Greek story of the Fates, a human representation of destiny, where three all-knowing women decided the length of each human life, among other things. In many ways, the idea of a fairy godmother may be just one more way we humans think about how we exist in the world, and if outside forces have control over our lives and choices.
1: Fairies and humans kind of get along. It depends on, like, what type of fairy it is. If it's, like, a tinkering fairy like Tinkerbell, it could help because they could build stuff. But if it's, like, a fairy that could, like, scare someone, then it wouldn't help humans. They can be very scary, because if you see just something appear right in front of you, you might go, huh. Oh. And they they can be pretty scary sometimes. If it's a scary fairy, then yeah, I'd be scared of it. <laughs> but, like, Tinkerbell's not scary. I wouldn't be scared of a fairy because I think that they could be nice but some can be creepy, but I wouldn't be scared
0: because I'm, I think I'm brave. Okay, okay. So we know that fairies can be tricksters. They can play pranks, but a lot of them are just for fun, right? Well, what about when they aren't? Is there such a thing as an evil fairy? During the Middle Ages in Europe, a story about good and bad fairies spread among those who believed in them. It was said that in the fairy world parallel to our own, there existed two kingdoms or courts, the Seely and the Unseelie. Seelie comes from the Old Middle English word meaning happy, lucky, or blessed, while Unseelie means unhappy, unholy, or misfortunate. The two different fairy kingdoms had different feelings about humans. Those in the Seelie Court were thought of as light fairies who would accept offerings from humans, help them, and live alongside them when possible. The dark fairies in the UnSeely Court, however, would hurt humans on purpose, playing dangerous tricks or setting traps. It was believed that the two courts responded to the expansion of the human world differently. The Seelie wanted to make themselves less visible to humans, maybe only coming out around twilight, while the Unseely court were resentful of humans and hateful towards them, wishing to fight against the expansion of human towns and cities. And there are other examples of regional stories about fairies who are, well, kinda terrifying. The Leonchi is said to be from the Isle of Man. Remember when we talked about the scary blue merman who ate sailors? Yeah, they were also from the Isle of Man. We're kind of wondering what's up with the Isle of Man. But that's a question for another time. This type of fairy is also a vampire. She tries to make men fall in love with her by disguising her fairy features and pretending she's a mortal woman. If they resist, she kills them and drinks their blood, which keeps her immortal. And if the man does fall in love with her, well, she takes his blood little by little, eventually killing him. Kind of a no-win situation for the guy, right? In Welsh tales, the Bendahimame were fairies that kidnapped human children. They would sneak into a baby's room, take the human child, and leave behind their own child, called a Crimble, who was often almost human-looking. But with some distinguishing features, like two different colored eyes or an extra finger. Bendith and mame roughly translate to mother's blessing. In many stories, the parents would have to consult a witch to see if they could make an offering to the fairies to get their child back. Some Welsh families would leave bowls of milk or other offerings on their doorsteps so the fairies wouldn't kidnap their children. This is actually a common theme with many types of fairies, the kidnapping of human children and leaving a changeling in their place. People may have used this to explain sudden illness or even birth defects in babies before we understood more about those things. Another Scottish type of fairy is the Fahan, said to be so hideous that if a human saw one, they would have a heart attack and maybe die. The Fahan are covered head to toe in rough fur and only had singular body parts, one eye, one leg, one arm, and they couldn't fly, making them angry and resentful of other fairies and prone to violence against people. In the Philippines, the Berberoka are fairies that are said to live in swamps and rivers where fishermen spend a lot of time. Looking kind of like our common picture of a mermaid, but with extra fins and a more elfin face, the Berberoka possessed the power to suck up gallons and gallons of water. They would swallow up the water, making a particular area more attractive to fishermen who could easily catch more fish when the water wasn't as deep. But as soon as the fishermen were settled in, the Berberoka would spit all the water back out, capsizing the boat so that they could eat the fishermen. The will-o'-wisp is a trickster fairy who would purposefully lead travelers away from the road in order to kill them. Often they would approach a traveler who already seemed lost, appearing as a bright light a little ways off in the distance. Thinking that the light was another person who could help them find their way, the traveler would follow the light until it led them to their death. Whether a fairy is good or bad, light or dark? Humans tell stories about fairies for the reasons that we tell many stories—to explain good and bad things that happen to us, to talk about forces and happenings that we see as outside of our control. A belief in fairies or other magical creatures could seem babyish to some of us. But if you think about it, it's also a way to connect to something bigger than ourselves—the energy of the earth, maybe? The idea that we are not the only advanced beings on the planet, or in the universe? In Iceland, as many as 54% of citizens asked in a survey said that they believed in hidden folk, who live around their country. Some create elf gardens to welcome them and make sure that human construction doesn't push them out, much like some people do for endangered plants or animals. In Holland, a deputy general for the environment, Keith Zotman, publicly proclaimed his belief in elves and gnomes. When criticized for it, he said, I've been trying to tell people, it's not just about the gnomes, it's about the world of the unseen. So, do you have to be able to see something to believe it? Or do you think a fairy could be near you, even if you can't see it? Maybe even right now. Thanks for listening to Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. This episode was written by Eleanor Riley Condit, produced and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen with episode artwork by Sarah Stitches. Special thanks this week to our guests Al, Blythe, and Olivia. Are you enjoying the show so far? Make sure to tell your friends. You can also leave us a rating and review in your podcast player of choice. Or share an episode on social media. Speaking of social media, did you know that Unspookable is on Twitter? Look for us at I'm Unspookable. Have an idea for a future episode? Want to reach out about a potential partnership or sponsorship? You can contact the Unspookable team on our website at unspookable.com. Unspookable is part of the Soundsington Audio Network, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com.